Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Welcome to our program. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up... It's being claimed that new machines would boost the accuracy of cattle grading. Tips on winter housing of cattle. But our top story. Call for farmers to back the Chagas Climate Plan. IFA President Joe Healy said it's time to end what he called the climate blame game. He contended that farmers could no longer be blamed for what he termed the climate inaction of others. He further went on to allege that lazy analysis points to the largest proportion of climate emissions coming from the agri-sector. But he contended again, there's no science here. It simply reflects the importance of the agri-food sector to the national economy as our largest native industry. Unlike other European countries, he claimed, Ireland did not have large-scale industrial or manufacturing sectors. He said the facts were that the EPA's report was stark. Greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise, particularly in transport, where emissions have increased by a massive 137% plus since the year 1990. During the same period, emissions from the agri-food sector increased marginally by 1.5%, Joe Healy said. The government should continue to work with the agri-food sector and lead the coordinated delivery of the Chagas Climate Roadmap, which, he said, sets out an emissions reduction plan for the next 10 years without impacting on the national herd. The implementation of this plan, he said, requires a whole government approach and must be led by the Department of Antioch. Regarding the annual change in climate emissions attributed to agriculture, the IFA leader said it was important to view these in their right context. He said farmers' development plans were stifled between the years 1984 and 2015 until the EU milk quota system was removed. The increase in output since 2015 has been important for farmers and their families. It has improved their economic sustainability as well as the social and economic sustainability of rural areas. Farming has also led a resource-efficient development of the sector. He said since 1990, agricultural output had grown by over 40%, while our emissions had marginally increased by 1%, according to the IFA leader, Joe Healy. He said there is a need to continue to develop technologies which reduce emissions per unit of output. The science in this area is developing all the time. He said this is where we should focus our energies rather than 
on stock numbers which are still lower than what we had in the mid-1990s. Joe Healy also claimed that farmers were not getting sufficient credit for the carbon they were sequestering through hedgerows and grasslands. This is a point of real frustration for farmers. Mr Healy said we should be able to calculate the net emissions from farming giving credit for the carbon which farmers are taking out of the atmosphere. Farming, he reminded people, is the backbone of balanced, sustainable development in Ireland. It's our largest indigenous sector, employing over 300,000 people in almost every parish in the country. Growth in output from the sector continues to outpace stock numbers, ensuring our climate-efficient model of food production continues. The European Union's Joint Research Centre had confirmed that our dairy farmers were the most carbon-efficient food producers and our beef farmers are in the top five. The reality is if we don't produce food here in Ireland, it'll be produced elsewhere with a much higher carbon footprint contributing to increased global emissions. The world's population is growing and more food will be needed. It must come from carbon-efficient countries such as Ireland. Farmers, he said, find it very hypocritical of politicians to agree a Mercosur trade deal which will see food imported to Europe which has multiples of the carbon footprint of Irish farmers. And that statement from the IFA leader, Mr Joe Healy. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Miss Anna Sexton, Business and Technology Dry Stock Advisor with Chagask Advisory Services, Coronet Skibbereen in County Cork in the west of the county, of course. Anna, welcome to the programme. Now, I think we want to focus on winter housing of beef cattle. I'm sure you have some tips. OK, John, um, I'll tell you there, I suppose, winter housing can be a costly time on farms. And I suppose farmers want uh, cattle to gain weight over the winter um, as it can greatly impact livestock performance. And having a plan is essential to, ha- to making the housing process as stress-free as possible. So preparing and in- implementing a plan uh, allows your cattle to perform to their maximum over the winter months while reducing stress, both financial and mental, associated with underperforming livestock. Um, so I suppose there are a number of things that need to be taken into account regarding winter housing. Um, I suppose are the sheds up to scratch or the housing facilities on the farm ready for the winter? Uh, typically the winter in Cork is 16 weeks. Now this can stretch out to maybe a five-month period depending on weather conditions. Um, at the moment things are fairly wet so I suppose people are anticipating putting cattle into the shed at this stage. Um, I suppose adjustments in uh, to the shed would be maybe modif- modifying side sheeting um, to ensure that ventilation is, is working well in the shed. Um, that viruses and bacteria don't survive well in fresh air. So good uh, quality air in sheds reduces the likelihood of infections. Um, Good flow of fresh air through the shed and to keep grass to minimum is important. Um, Consideration probably should be given to to shed size as overcrowding can lead to a reduction in performance. And high levels of moisture can allow pathogens spread and survive, especially in the air and bedding. Um, so I suppose taking into account there that straw bed of pins that are gently sloped um, and uh, runoff collected from them will reduce the amount of moisture in a bedded area. So I suppose the second point there, John, is making housing as stress-free as possible. Um, for many beef farmers, are, and especially the sucker men, 
the housing period is seen as the ideal period to wean suckler cows from their calves. However, um, at weaning time, calves are more prone to disease and infection and their immune systems can be suppressed due to stress. So I suppose how is um, how do we reduce the stress is, is the thing. And I suppose it's best to, to wean suckler cows from their calves while outdoors over a gradual period of time rather than doing it too fast. And um, using a creep wire might might be a good idea to break the bond between the cow and the calf. And calves are less likely to become agitated if they can see and hear their dams. Um, castration and debudding would, should also be avoided in the lead up to housing, as these practices also cause stress. So the third point there, John, is um, to ensure that stock have adequate feed space in the shed once they go in to get more live weight gain and to group animals in accordance with their, their weight, so grouping animals of similar, similar weight together um, can prevent larger animals bullying lighter animals for feed for space at the feed phase. So, um, for example, in a suckler cow enterprise, separating first calves from older cows has shown to reduce the incidences of bullying in, in the herd. So it's important to have a feed phase allowance of, of a minimum of 600 millimetres um, in a spring calving enterprise, dry cows should be grouped on the basis of body condition score, which allows cows to be monitored and reduces the incidences of difficult calving in the spring. Um, the fourth point there, John, is um, assessing the fodder quality and making sure that there's good quality soilage given to animals at, at, at all times. Um, it would be worth taking a soilage sample at this point in time I suppose not having a soil sample is probably a feeling in the dark a bit, and I suppose soil quality will determine the amount of concentrate feed needed to maximise performance over the winter. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Anna Sexton, Business and Technology Dry Stock Advisor with the Chagask Advisory Services, Coronet, Skibbereen in County Cork. And a full interview with Anna in the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11pm. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Dave Mulcahy, Secretary, Cork East Ploughing Association and Director of the Board of MPA, the National Ploughing Association. Dave, welcome to the programme. Now, this weekend, you're deputising for Philip Cotter, PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association, and you've got uh, some results for our listeners. That's correct, John, of course. As the clocks go back tonight and all that, we're back in ploughing mode again. We've been off there over the last number of weeks between the national banquet for the the cups and the presentation of the medals and the trophies from the national championships in Ballinatray. Yeah, I'm deputising this week. Philip uh, is at the European Vintage Championships, which have been held this weekend in Scotland. So himself and Willie Stokes, um, who are both the chairman and the secretary of the Vintage Flying Association of Ireland, are gone out there with the Irish team and we wish them success today and again on tomorrow and they'll be back on our soil again next week and Philip will be back to you again. Uh, without further ado, this is the results of Bartlemy and the Bartlemy club held our competition in Blandertown, Scotland, Coral Preven and Rakamuk. Fantastic site, very dry ground, great day had by all and uh, everyone went back to Rakamuk in after for the food and for the results and here are the results. The Cena Conventional, first Michael Hannon, second Michael Hannon, and in third place, Billy Towns. In the Mockery 2 forward class, first Willem Mulcahy, second Steve O'Connell. In the family class, there's one competitor there, all the Hayes.
in the vintage trailer in first place, Pat Connolly, second place, Andrew Smith. In the vintage mounted, first place, Moss Fleming, second place, Phelan Copper, and third place, Tom Buzang. In the single forer, again, the one compared to that class, and that's Trevor Fleming. In the three forer open, first place, Noel Howley, second place, Jim Barrett. And then the reversible class, again, one competitor, that's John A. O'Donovan. So, John, that's the results from Bartomey from last Sunday. Uh, next weekend, uh, we will have um, Watergraft Hill. There is no ploughing this weekend, as the Mockery National Conference for the Mockery Rally has been held in the Radisson Blue Hotel in Little Ireland. So, we always skip that for the, the younger, um, underage lads that are involved within Mockery and the family and give a bit of respect to the National Conference. We always skip the bank holiday weekend for uh, to give them lads to go to the National Conference. Um, on Sunday, uh, there is a ploughing match on in County Waterford in Clashmore. I don't have full details of that, but anyone that would, um, James Finn, I guess, his number would be in the catalogue for the National Ploughing. Um, James is one of the head lads in Clashmore, so that is happening on Sunday. I assume that the start time will be 11 o'clock because we'll be on old time as of tonight. And uh, next weekend in, on Saturday, we have the novice uh, competition for Corky's throwing. And that takes place on next Saturday morning on the lands of uh, Robert Barry in Nakraha East. And entries and details for that competition uh people to inquire or want to take part or entries for that competition will go to Dave Moisehi on 087-2944727 that's 087-2944727 that's the novice competition on next Saturday morning and that will take place at 11am on the lands of Robert Dowry in Nakraha East um, it would be the same field I think is what's been used for the last uh, two years for that competition and it's been it has proved to be a very good competition for uh for young people the the winner of this competition goes forward to the national championships for the final for first prize in both senior intermediate and junior grade is fifteen hundred euros towards a competition plow for anyone starting or wants to get into plowing so it's a good competition it's um it's kind of a learning schooling day and an obvious competition and the winner then goes forward to the to the All Ireland, and then on Sunday, uh, the Watergate Hill Club will hold their annual fixture, and um, it's been held in Ballyreedy this year, Ballyreedy Bartlemy. Uh, Philip will have more details on that next weekend, but uh, as of now, we'll concentrate on the novice match because that will be taking place. Um, we will we, we we will be taking part in that competition um, by the time that uh, Philip will be on air next weekend. So. We said we give a shout for this weekend that uh, the novice competition is on Saturday and water the sale on Sunday. And uh, we'll have plenty more details for us in the coming weeks. So, without further ado, we wish you all the best of luck and thanks very much, John, and to yourself and all the legends, C103, and Godspeed the Plough. That sounds fine. We'll agree with those sentiments. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Dave Mulcahy, Secretary, Cork East Ploughing Association and Director to the Board of MPA, the National Ploughing Association, deputising this weekend for Mr. Philip Cotter, PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association in Scotland at the moment. Thank you very much indeed, Dave. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. 
Mr. Phelan O'Neill, market specialist, Irish Farmers Journal, based in Brussels, joins us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. Phelan, in this week's journal, your article refers to the new machines which would possibly, hopefully, boost the accuracy of cattle grading. What's the background to your article? Uh, hello, John. Yes, well, I don't think there's any doubt uh, that they will improve it. Uh, I suppose the the background to this really is that uh, there have been trials ongoing for some time uh, since, I suppose, the the middle of last year, 2018, uh, up until March of this year. And what's going on, basically, we've had uh, a machine doing the grading in meat factories. It's been operational since 2004. And to be quite honest, there's been no change on that equipment since the day it was first installed. Uh, it's working, I suppose, with what we would call the old-style analog television camera system. And the best way to describe that is if we look at uh, any old television footage going back into the 1990s or 1980s, you will see that it's not as crisp and as clear as modern footage is. as modern, if you watch the RT News or football or anything on at the moment, it's a much clearer, crisper picture. And this is a little bit of the same thing, I suppose, Um the old technology's been in. It has worked perfectly well. It has more than met uh, the standard that's required uh, from the machine. Uh, but the problem for the existing machine and the existing technology is that these cameras are no longer made. So whenever a camera now, if it runs out, and I know they've had a number in stock, uh, but there will come a time when there won't be any replacements available. So basically, if we want to keep using uh, the video imaging analysis uh, grading, or VIA as it's known for short, in factories, well then we need to move into the new technology, into the digital technology. Uh, they're also in the trial, they upgraded the lighting. Now, I suppose to start, uh, to bring the, to rewind this back a little bit, John, from uh, the point of view of, you know, why, that's, that's the way it had to be done. And then the how, I suppose, is the next question. And uh, again, it's a requirement of the EU legislation that any uh, modification to the equipment that it does get uh, tested robustly. And the way that it's tested, or the way that this test was carried out, was uh, the Slaney factory was selected, uh, Slaney Foods factory in Bunclody, County Wexford, was selected. And there there was space on the line to install if you like, the new updated version of the machine with the digital uh, cameras and with the LED lighting as opposed to the old fluorescent type lighting. And they were able to operate to put the batch of cattle through one uh, as the original machine, and that's what's working at the minute, and that's what's approved at the minute, and then go straight through the other one where they were able, and then a, pa- a panel of three experts of, of human or classification experts uh, were then at the end of the line, and they were basically able to do the comparison of notes. They would have graded them manually. So whenever that was all done, uh, they were able to uh, do a reflection on the 2,100 car- cattle that went through it, and uh, they did conclude, which would be no surprise to anyone, that the digital equipment with the LED lighting produced uh, a sharper image, uh, and it meant then that it graded closer to the experts uh, by a small percentage on the confirmation, but by five odd percent on the fact that it's much more accurate there. And how many cattle approximately were involved in the tests? There was uh, 2,100 cattle was what they've uh, based their results on. So it was basically a case, those 2,100 cattle first went through the existing approved machine, then they went through the machine that was on trial, and then they were graded manually, if you like, by the three experts that were at the end of the line. And uh, the three experts are the people that will set the standard. They are the ones that are considered to to be uh, accurate and and correct. Now, of course, uh, again, uh, 
people grading cattle with their eye. It's a bit like referees making a call in a football match or in a rugby match. Uh, you know, different people will say that the referee got that one right or the referee got it wrong. But by and large, when you've got three classification experts together, they will come up with uh, the definitive grade. And uh, as I say, the new technology, which would be no surprise to anyone, basically, uh, is that little bit more precise, is that bit little, little bit clearer. And the other thing that's interesting, and part of the negotiations around uh, the recent disputes there, where farmers are now entitled to get a copy of their image uh, from the factory of their animal as it's being graded. Uh, and when they get that image, it'll be accurate, a more crisp and a, and a clearer image, uh, which will be a, a good thing as well. And that's, of course, if there's any dispute about grading or trimming, they would have the that's right... Correct. They now will have the right to demand that. And again, whilst, uh, of course, uh, it doesn't necessarily provide the definitive answer, the fact that you have a better, a clearer image uh, will, of course, uh, help that case and unlikely be of more benefit and more use to any farmer that's getting it. And just to reinforce the difference, the degree of increased accuracy, looking at the journal, it appears that you're saying there the new machine in your article said the new machine was 0.9% more accurate on confirmation and 7.6% more accurate on fat scores on those uh, 2,100 cattle you refer to yeah. being involved in the tests. And, and that uh, we should add and emphasize, of course, that that is, that is that much better than the original machine, which again is comfortably ahead of the standard, you know, the, in, in terms of what's required uh, by machines, in terms of accuracy and in terms of the classification. So, uh, you know, it improves what is already a good standard. So I suppose, again, and I, I like to use the, the television example in this, uh, you know, given the vintage that I am, the age I am, I remember black and white, never mind the, the colour. But, you know, if we think back 20, 30 years, if we had a clear picture on the screen at all and it wasn't too frosty or it wasn't jumping about all over the place, we thought that was very good until we have seen better with digital and HD and, and all of those things that have come in in recent years. So I think I suppose that the best way to describe this is that it is the opportunity to move into the 21st century. Uh, I should say, of course, there's no obligation on factories to adopt the new technology. In fact, there's no obligation on factories to use machines at all. You can do the grading with a licensed grading officer in the plant. Now, I think it would be a very much a backward step if any factory was to decide, look, that if we run out and our machine that we have stops working, that we're not going to do the upgrade. We will just go back to manual grading. That would really feel like a step back into the last century. It would be my guess that that won't happen. It would be my guess that they will uh, move into the upgraded machine at a time of their convenience. I suppose the other thing that should be pointed out, John, uh, a factory can't just decide tomorrow that we are going to order this new machine, we'll stick it in next week and that will be it. Uh, it has to be done under the department supervision just to make sure that it is performing. It, on each site, we'll get an inspection to ensure that it is performing to the standard that they expect of it. It's not something that the factories can do unilaterally. But certainly we in the Farmers' Journal would be encouraging them to upgrade in a, in a timely way and uh, I think, again, while the department would have made it very clear to me that they have no uh, skin in this game, if you like, or, or their role is just to facilitate the trial. Uh, they're not pushing it. They're not going to make it compulsory. Uh, but it would be my expectation that over the next 12 months that we will see Irish beef factories move into introducing these new machines. The present system, it's within the rules. It's just, just getting parts and the whole thing is becoming obsolete. 
Very much so. And again, people will talk about uh, the iPhone. The, these machines are in place since 2004. Uh, we talk about the iPhone was introduced in 2008, and now I think we're on to the 10th or the 11th version of it, uh, of upgrades that have happened along the way. Whereas these machines, we, we haven't yet got on to version 2. So I suppose, uh, you know, looking at it uh, logically, it is time that they moved into digital cameras, that they moved into LED lighting. Uh, and and brought, uh, if you like, the the ultimate level of precision that they can to capturing an image on the factory floor. Um, as I say, it's not something uh, that that's compulsory, but I think it's just an opportunity to do something better. The existing equipment performed entirely satisfactory, but uh, if there's an opportunity to do better, well, then I think it's something uh, that that we should aspire to do. And uh, again, I suppose from a farming point of view. Uh, there is a, a degree and, and a belief in independence that there's no such thing as a, as a factory grader having a, a favourite supplier or a favourite farmer or something like that. The machine is, a, is totally detached from all of that. Uh, and I think there's a general recognition in the farming community uh, that uh, the machine doing the grading is, by and large, a, a reasonably satisfactory process. You know, there have been many problems and many issues raised in the beef industry over recent months. Uh, of course, the shock and bad price is the, is the biggest crisis and the biggest problem of all. Uh, the issue of grading cattle is one, I suppose, of the things that in the industry we could say is, is more settled, if you like, than many other areas. And I wouldn't expect anything to change with, with this uh, new upgraded equipment. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Phelim O'Neill, market specialist, Irish Farmers Journal, on the line from Brussels. Thank you very much indeed, Phelim. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be on. Author John Hogg continues to discuss his book, Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited, 1919 to 1990, A History. The book is available widely in Munster and particularly in the Mitchellstown area and also in Mallow at Phillips Bookshop. Further inquiries regarding the book, published recently at 087 761 That's 87 761 Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited, 1919 to 1990, a history by author John Hawke. Looking back, John, at the unstable political circumstances and the economic situation in Ireland at the time of the establishment of Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society, as set out in your book, we find that despite all the problems of the times, Mitchellstown Cooperative Society managed to establish itself and grow and thrive. So, providing inspiration for the current generation, where we have all the problems of Brexit and uncertainties of the future. Well, uh, there are certainly uncertainties now. Then there were huge uncertainties. We had the War of Independence, uh, where, I mean, they said uh, the Irish uh, volunteers took on the might of the British Empire and managed to get a, the free state established. In the 1930s, you had the economic war. In 1939, you had, you had the Great War. And funnily enough, I won't say funnily enough, but Mitchison actually thrived during the Second World War because the manager at the time there, the creamer is Eamon Roach, he was a great believer in getting things done. So when they ran short of fuel, he opened up the bogs in, in Gelty Castle. He cut down timber uh, in a sawmill uh, and used his sawmills to make boxes. So a lot of employment was generated. So even in the off-season, when maybe the creamery was quiet, they were forever 
uh, tidying up buildings or extending stores, etc. So, as the as the papers were marked on his date, there was no unemployment in Mitchellstown, in the sense that he there was employment for anyone willing to work in the area. Great ingenuity indeed uh, displayed by that uh, person. The onward march of the cooperative movement, the onward uh, march of cooperative uh, amalgamation and rationalisation, right up to the establishment of our own sponsor, Dairy Gold Cooperative Society in 1990. Do you feel that you know this is something that has not in any way dimmed the great achievements of Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited? Well, I think um, Mitchellstown and uh, the people who sat at Mitchellstown and those associated with it have plenty to be proud of. You know, Mitchellstown today is still a very large uh, business in the sense that it, the business has changed in the sense that where once there was a tremendous amount of employment, there are now somewhat less employment, but there has been tremendous investment over the years in, in a capital-type business. So I suppose the days of having you know numerous workers doing manual work those have been replaced by automation, so, I mean, that seems to be just a, a reality of life at the moment, anyway. Over the years, Ireland and co-ops like Mitchellstown, they have become the focus of other countries looking to Ireland, looking to Cork, to Munster, to Mitchellstown for guidance, because we are now one of the most modern go-ahead dairy enterprises in the world, I would imagine, from reports of people coming to Ireland. Well, certainly there's been massive investment in the plant in Mitchellstown and in Mogili in East Cork and in Mallow, which has been substantially upgraded in the last five to ten years, since, especially since the quotas were eliminated. It has allowed milk production to expand greatly. But another interesting aspect, going back to Mitchellstown, and it is still relevant today, was that where Mitchellstown was located was just, say, within six or seven miles of Moore Park Research Centre. So when Moore Park was getting off the ground, Mitchellstown Cooperative Society uh, leased them some lands there, rent-free for a number of years. It also provided um, practical help, grants towards laboratory equipment, and there has been an ongoing tie-up between Mitchellstown and the Moore Park Research Centre Centre of Tagus activities in in uh, Munster over the last 50 years. So, uh, fully enough, it was 1960 or 1959-60 that Moore Park was established, and pretty well at the same time, Mitchellstown purchased the farm from the Board of Works right adjoining it. And there has been that tie-up, whether in daring or peak husbandry, since then, to the mutual benefit of Dairy Gold and Mitchellstown and other farmers. So I was in to see Moore Park there recently, and I won't say it surprised me to be told that there were uh, possibly up to 500 people engaged in employment there or advanced research of one type or another. So, I mean, that's, a, that's a, in, in a sense, uh, you know, a very valuable tie-up for the dairy industry for farming in general in this area. And there was one bit of very good news which had uh, commercial significance and helped income of farmers and production of uh, dairy produce. Whey, the discovery of a new use for whey. You have a, a modern whey processing sense. 
uh, capability which is used in infant milk formula and you know is a very important raw material. If you went back in the history of Mitchell, whey was actually important also in the sense that um, having some problems with disposal of whey in the 1930s, they decided to purchase a farm which is now the Castle Farm and put up large piggeries there. And it is said that Kevin Roach, the son of Eamon Roach, the world famous athlete who died only last year, uh, you know, drew up the plans for the piggeries there. And that was the start of a, a large business in its own right and led on to the baking factory. But as I say, now there's a different use for the way it's used in infant milk formula and, uh, you know, it's a very important ingredient in that industry. Going through your book, Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited, a history 1919 to 1990, there are a massive amount of photographs, and these are good quality, clear photographs, so people with even the most remote connection to Mitchellstown, the Mitchellstown workforce or management, to look at those photographs, and even if you were only interested in the history of uh, industry development in rural Ireland, an amazing collection of photographs and uh, facsimiles, photographs of uh, documents and key documents and billheads, etc., and um, labels. So, numerous sources. There was a number of people who assisted me. First of all, we had, uh, we say, a, a, a centenary committee. You know, so there was there was staff members, there was uh, committee members, and many gave us these photographs. So it was a combination of outside sources plus some internal sources from from Daily Gold's point of view. So we ended up with a, quite a good selection of photographs, and I was ably assisted in, in sorting these photographs by especially Lee Mellon and Noel Coughlin, who gave me great help in um, putting together what I think is a, a top-quality uh, list of photographs or archival photographs, which, uh, which, as you say, date back to the turn of the 20th century, not the 21st century. So, I mean, without even reading the book, if you just turn through the photographs, you are seeing history in action. And the recent celebration, the marking of the centenary of the establishment of Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited, that particular day, it was amazing to see the loyalty, the long-standing intergenerational loyalty of people in the region to Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited. Yes, indeed, and there's uh, a lot to be proud of in Mitchellstown. As I say, uh, my book, The Blurb on the Cover, says that he became Ireland's largest and most successful cooperative for much of the, the 20th century. You know, and it certainly it has proved its worth over the years in talking to farmer committee people. Of, they describe it as a great cooperative in the sense that, you know, if things were going, quote, wrong, or if there was family tragedy, I mean, there was assistance to be got. Do you know what I mean? Whether it was to pay the bills or to extend the credit, what have you like that. And, even as recently as four or five years ago when you had that father crisis there, say 2013, and again to a certain degree last year. Daily Gold to Jerry O'Sullivan was instrumental in, in sourcing father for people. So, I mean, working together, you can achieve results. And so it is part of the cooperative spirit to work together to try and help, you know, those maybe who, who are in difficulty in short term, with short term difficulties, and to, you know that 
people will pull through if they get some assistance. The dairy industry, meat production, those industries which are a key part of our Irish national economy and rural economies throughout Europe, there is, to some extent, uh, propaganda against uh, dairy and meat uh, production. But do you feel that with uh, proper research and scientific evidence that Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society Limited and the dairy sector will continue to expand to a large extent? Well, I think it, it, there's certainly room for further expansion, but it obviously it has to be, I want to say, controlled expansion again, just be expansion for the sake of expansion. It has to be market-led, it has to be sustainable type of production. So I kind of feel that, let's say, you had the quota regime for 31 years, so there was obviously a pent-up demand there. When people got the chance, they expanded. But obviously, at the same time, you have to keep uh, some market realities before your mind as well. So I see it expanding, but maybe not at quite the rate you had in the last five years. But certainly the real opportunities um, develop for Irish, the excellent Irish product that we have to offer. So, I mean, standards have never been higher at, at farm level and at processing level, and people are working incredibly hard in both in both the farming and processing level. And I see quite a good future for all concerned. Sustainability, that seems to be a key word with our sponsor, Dairy Gold Cooperative Society and the dairy sector to continue to expand the dairy sector in a green sense, not in terms of vast uh, production of commodity. All farmers are now looking at their activities. Dairy Gold suppliers are looking at their activities, farm walks and and information evenings, they all centre around sustainability. That seems to be very much now embedded in the whole practice. Well, let's say Ireland has unique advantages in the sense that uh, its dairy and beef sectors are predominantly grass-based, which is quite unusual, perhaps, with the exception of New Zealand. Nearly all other dairy businesses in, in Europe are based on indoor production, kind of mass production, so... Certainly, there is there is a kind of a tipping point there, even in conversation with other people who are involved in dairying. You know, at a certain scale, you know, at farm level, it becomes more and more difficult to, you know, um, how I put it, keep the family farm structure. If you have a thousand cows or fifteen hundred cows, you know, you will definitely have a different system involved. China, who would have thought back in 1919 we'd be looking to Asia as one of the key expansion areas? Yeah, like, I mean, this, uh, obviously when, when the co up in 1919, its focus was on the local market or possibly the UK market. Now, I mean, the world has changed so much. I mean, products can go literally around the world. But I suppose, um, you know, I mean, China certainly is an opportunity, but obviously you, you need, um, I won't say a good reputation to get to China, you, you won't develop it overnight. Thank you, John. Mr John Hawk, author of Mitchellstown Cooperative Agricultural Society, Limited, 1919 to 1990, A History. Finally, two upcoming events. Saturday, 2nd of November, Carrigan and IFA are holding their gala dinner in the Cork International Hotel, 7.45pm. 
All proceeds of this event will go to the charity Mercy Hospital Heroes. Music by Pat Daly, guest speaker Mairead Lavery, editor, Irish Country Living, Irish Farmers Journal. Tickets from Branch Secretary Richard Geary at 87 That's 87 Details of a horse and pony sale organised by the Cork Harry branch of the Irish Draft Horse Breeders Association taking place on Bank Holiday Monday, October 28th, showing classes for entered foals at 11am, sale 12 noon, sections for Irish Drafts, foals, sport horses, ridden horses and ponies. Photos and videos of entered lots to be provided by email, available on the Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash IDHBA Cork Kerry forward slash catalogue available on www.idhba.ie. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. And as always, to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable bank holiday weekend. And don't forget the clocks go back this weekend. Next Agri Update scheduled for this coming Wednesday evening between 10 pm and 11 pm. Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.